Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC. On today's show, we hear about a series of local classes on all things drag and how the art of drag has changed over the years. I've been very much about finding places outside the normal gay bars because drag has always been thought of as gay bar, gay bar, gay bar. And we explore how farmers in northeastern Colorado are trying to keep water in the Republican River Basin from disappearing. That's coming up. You're listening to KUNC's Colorado Edition. I'm Erin O'Toole. The art of drag performance has grown in visibility and popularity over the last few years. Coming up in just a bit, we're going to hear about a Denver-based arts collective that's been hosting a series of classes for teens and tweens to learn the ins and outs of performing drag. But before we get to that, we're going to wrap up our series looking at a river in northeastern Colorado where declining water flows have been impacting farmers and ranchers for years. When it comes to saving the Republican River Basin from losing its water and its ability to be an agricultural powerhouse, there are a lot of ideas. Farmers are trying some of them, like switching to less water-dependent crops and alternative growing methods. KUNC's Adam Reyes explores the impact these potential solutions could have in Colorado and the two other states that depend on water from the river. The most popular crops grown in northeastern Colorado, especially the corn used for livestock feed, need a lot of water. Then there are black-eyed peas. I'm like the Johnny Appleseed of black-eyed peas. That's Jason Webb. This alternative crop is emblematic of both the benefits and limits of the solutions being considered. Anyway, anybody I talk to, we're going to talk black IP. Webb is a field agronomist with Trinidad Benham, a Denver-based bean seed company. He works in Sterling, a rural city at the edge of Colorado's Republican River Basin. It's just so fascinating on how this plant can be manipulated by water and by fertility, where a lot of other crops can't. He says black-eyed peas not only can grow with less water, but the protein-filled plants actually prefer it. And Webb has gotten a handful of area producers growing them. I have a lot of growers that would, hey, I would, I would like to replace all of my weed acres with this. It's a great idea. Save water and the economy by filling every acre with black-eyed peas. But there's a catch. We can't put in thousands and thousands of acres, tens of thousands of acres of one crop and expect that market to hold up not without creating demand on the other end. Which isn't there like it is for corn and wheat. There are other limiting factors, like the fact that some soil types out here can't grow these beans. There's no silver bullet. That's Kurt Sales. His family has farmed in Yuma County since about 1980, near the South Fork of the Republican River. We've experimented with a lot of crops, and I guess I have an idle curiosity. You know, everybody would say, oh, you can't raise that. And I'm like, well, who are they? Originally, they grew corn and wheat, but since 1998, he's tried a lot of alternatives, including... Sunflower, safflower, corn, millet, cereal rye, chickpeas. These are all dry land crops. So instead of using the large metal apparatus found rotating around a pivot in many of this region's farms to water crops, his fields rely on water that is already in the ground or from rain. For sales and many other dryland farmers, not irrigating was never really a choice. They've always lacked. The water. We couldn't find that kind of water. 
Crop variety also ensures plants are in his fields year-round, so he doesn't need to churn or till dirt to start planting each season. No-till and year-round planting are gaining popularity among producers like Sales, who say it decreases water consumption, boosts soil health, and reduces the need for costly fertilizer and chemicals. It's not the crop by itself. It's the crop in the system. Sales and others I spoke to say many resist changing traditional farming practices. He says these methods can apply to farms that do have irrigation or might be about to lose it, though he admits it does involve some initial financial risk that not everyone can bear. I'm not a real greenie, but I do recognize that we're stewards of this resource and that we need to act that way. Amid declining groundwater levels and stream flow, Colorado must stop irrigation on 25,000 acres of farmland near the South Fork of the Republican River by 2029. Farmers who quit irrigating can either turn those acres into untended natural grassland for a slightly higher payout or switch to dryland farming, meaning they can still grow corn, but often at a reduced yield. As people work toward these and other solutions, few are under the impression that things won't eventually change dramatically in the basin, even in areas that still have plenty of water. Everyone recognizes the fact that we have got to slow down depletions. That's Republican River Water Conservation District Manager Deb Daniel. Because the longer we can have irrigated ag in this area, the longer our communities will have to adapt to not being able to have irrigation. One thing is clear from what she and others are saying, no one solution will be enough. It will take a combination of different growing methods, scientific breakthroughs, massive revitalization projects, and more to mitigate the losses these communities and this environment face. Adam Reyes, KUNC. This story was produced in part by the America Amplified Initiative. America Amplified is a national public media collaboration focused on community engagement reporting. You can go deeper with this story and find our other reporting on the Republican River at KUNC.org. In 1954, Denver passed an ordinance that made it illegal for, quote, any member of the male sex to appear in public in the dress of the opposite sex. This meant that drag queens were arrested for simply being seen. Denver stopped jailing drag queens in 1973. And in recent years, drag events, gay bar performances, brunches, and even sober shows have moved from counterculture to more mainstream life. Denver drag queen Diamond Star has watched the scene change and grow through 18 years of their performance career. And now Diamond is passing their experience to a new generation of teen and tween drag queens in the city. This month, Diamond is running a series of classes for young queens to learn the ins and outs of drag. Their classes on wig maintenance, makeup, performance, and sewing are at the Factory Fashion Art Hub in Denver, which is part of the Aurora-based community arts collective Factory 5-5. Sam Sharney, a 15-year-old theater major at the Denver School of the Arts, is one of Diamond's students. I spoke with Sam and Diamond about the classes, their inspiration for performing, and what it means to carry the torch of drag history forward. I started by asking how each of them came to the art form. Sam, whose drag name is Viola Eccentra, went first. Well, I started drag kind of as a gender expression. Uh, since I'm non-binary, I kind of started drag as my gender journey and being able to figure out who I am and who I wanted to be. Because at the time I wasn't presenting as 
like out as I am right now. Um, so I was able to kind of use drag as a toolbox to be able to become who I want to be. But I also use drag kind of as an artistic expression to be able to say, like, screw you to the gender rules that society places on us and kind of break down the binary. Also, I was really brought into drag in seventh grade when I went as a drag queen for Halloween because I really wanted to wear a dress and heels. And I was like, oh, perfect excuse. The birthday of every drag queen, Halloween. Yes, favorite, my favorite holiday. But my mom uh, bought me my first pair of heels and my first dress and I went as a drag queen for Halloween. Um, and then a couple weeks later, I was in a talent show at my school and I decided to perform, perform my first drag number. And so that was kind of the birth of me. And can you tell us about your favorite performance? I think one of my favorite performances was when I performed uh, at Pride, when I went to Pride for my first time. I the Rainbow Alley, there was a youth section at Pride and the Rainbow Alley was putting on a drag youth drag performance. So I got there and I had no idea I was going to perform and we went to the table and my mom was like, oh, there's a performance, you should sign up. So I signed up like five minutes before I went and it was kind of my first time seeing the community outside of my school and because my school is pretty expansive in like different genders and different sexualities and, and is really diverse in that aspect. But it was my first time seeing like queer adults and queer kids that I didn't know personally that supported me. And so that was my first like that was my favorite show because I was able to see kind of like what I wanted to do with this like opportunity. Sam, I took a look at your resume before this, too, and I noticed that you've also participated in more than 15 plays since 2016. That's a lot. Um, you've been involved in theater since you were very young. Has your theater experience affected the way that you do drag? I'd say my drag style is pretty theatrical. I don't like doing performances that other people would do, and I like doing kind of my interpretation. So if I'm lip syncing, I like doing an interpretation of my song. Or sometimes, like once I was doing a performance of Baby Girls, no, Little Girls from Annie as Miss Hannigan, because Miss Hannigan is one of my dream roles. But um, at the time, I wasn't able to be cast in Miss Hannigan because I was just in an Annie performance. So the cast didn't cast me in Miss Hannigan. So I was like, I'm going to reclaim this. So I uh, did a performance of Little Girls and I sang it live. I made it like a really artistic performance and I had like a baby doll I was playing around with on stage and kind of like made it my own performance, even though I was speaking someone else's words. So definitely like acting has played a huge part in my drag style because it's become more and more kind of what I am on the inside, just like magnified by a thousand. It's also nice. It's a cross section of pretty much theater with design of costumes, makeup, dance, choreograph. You're literally your own director. You're everything all rolled into one. Diamond, that's so interesting that you say that because I think for many people who, you know, who are kind of maybe seeing this for the first time, it feels like it's all about the outfits, the makeup, but it really is about much, much more than that. I don't know if this is true for every drag queen, but the number one rule I learned from my drag mom, and I live it to my core, is that drag is not about the drag families are not about the drag. It's about the family. It's more the drag is most important to have the heart and bring it together the community. And that and the expression of that is just an added bonus almost. 
Well, let me ask you, Diamond, how did you first get involved with drag? Oh, boy. So I went out, out on a dare from a friend of mine at 18 years old to a club that I'd been frequenting a while. She dared me to go on drag. The MC who knew me from because I had been frequenting the bar for a while brought me on stage, ripped me a new one, told me never to drag again. I had to prove her wrong, and I did. And all these years later, it's actually very cathartic that I'm getting to teach these classes because I think about that a lot. I don't want anyone to feel like I felt then. I want them to have a safe, expressive place to be themselves. And was that, I know you've been doing this about 18 years. Is that about when that happened? Yep. Half my life I've been doing it. Wow. Now, where do you draw inspiration from in your performances? A lot of Broadway. Um, I do a lot of character work, too. Like, I've done Annie Lennox. My biggest characters, I look just like Liza Minnelli. Um, I do Kelly Clarkson. I do a lot of character work, but I also do a lot of finding ways to take the old and finding new things. Like, I do a lot of 80s numbers, too, in new ways. So... Very much Broadway 80s, that whole old school aspect. I understand, too, that you are an advocate for sober drag spaces. Talk a little bit more about that and why is that? So one of my past relationships, my most recent, he was an alcoholic to the point where I had to ban alcohol from the house. And it gave me a perspective because I stopped drinking, gave me a whole new perspective on life. And there was a bar that opened last year called Awake, which is a sober bar. And I contacted them for Pride last year because that was something, their goals of having sober spaces for people and still allowing people to have that social aspect of a bar without the alcohol went right, right, right in line with my beliefs. And so I've been hosting a show there since last uh, Pride. So yeah, it's, I've been very much about finding places outside the normal gay bars because drag has always been thought of as gay bar, gay bar, gay bar. And it's time to bring it down to the mainstream and give places where the young people can't go that normally can't go because of bars, for instance. The young people can't go there just to get hard to perform and stuff. So basically I just want to open the doors. That was the first part of my conversation with Denver drag queen Diamond Star, who's hosting a series of drag classes for teens and tweens this month, and one of the students taking part in those classes, Sam Sharney. We'll continue after the break. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. Denver drag queen Diamond Star is running a series of classes this month for young queens to learn the ins and outs of drag. Their classes are at the Factory Fashion Art Hub in Denver, which is part of the Aurora-based community arts collective Factory 5-5. I'm speaking with Diamond and one of their students in the class, 15-year-old Sam Sharney. Well, let's talk a little bit about this month-long series of classes that you're running. Um, How did you get involved with this? I actually saw a... Um, article about Factory 5-5 and because I believe like I was saying earlier drag is a cross-section of your own director your own producer your own costume designer your own everything that went right along with that belief of mine so I contacted them about doing just a show originally um, because they also have the black box theater and this idea of this show just turned into this whole big month-long class is that I'm so happy it did it's more than I could ever dream of and Sam, what drew you to want to do this? I, I'd done a few previous classes with Factory 5-5. I did a sewing class over the summer. So my mom's been on the mailing list for them. So my mom saw a ad 
for this class and she asked me if I wanted to sign up and I said yes of course because I'm always looking to improve myself and be the best person and best performer I can be and what's better than learning from a professional performer that's been doing this for a long time are you calling me old no 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 ageless I like that (laughs) ageless (laughs) I'm about to have a birthday, and I'm going to seize that expression right now. Thank you. Um, Diamond, talk about what the curriculum is like. I mean, what are the classes? I guess I'll just go in order. Um, We have a four-week-long class about designing costumes and different tricks and tips that people, because drag is one of those art forms where you have to think outside the box, there's tips I've learned over the years that normal costume people would not know. Like a great way to get a collar is using a wire coat hanger in, uh, around it. So just like that, I've been able to teach them and also see how creative they already are. And we have a makeup class tomorrow, which I'm really, really excited for. Probably going to be my favorite because it's actually going to be the only class I'm going there as a boy, quote unquote. So that way I can do my makeup as I teach the class. We had a wig styling class where I showed double stacking and teasing and stuff like that. And then we're going to have a performance class, and then it's going to finish off with a uh, drag show on the 30th. So a pretty big variety. Sam, what's, what's been the best part for you so far with, with these uh, classes? I uh, have really enjoyed working with Diamond um, on my costume design because I started with a basic sketch of like something I would draw for theater because I do a bunch of theater design, theater costume design. And Diamond was able to help me like spruce it up and make it like more fabulous. And we are working on this idea with like a plastic bag corsage that's like neon and like kind of like rainbow swirl and stuff like that. So I'm really excited. And so I think my favorite part has been kind of learning like new tips and tricks on how to make things more fabulous. Well, I'm curious uh, for both of you how drag fits into your self-expression and your identity. Sam, can you talk about that first? I think that it's me, like Viola is me, but a thousand times magnified. So I'm able to express how I feel on the inside to other people. And even though I'm a really expressive person like in real life I think Diamond knows this now um uh I am able to express myself even more and maybe express the scary parts of myself that I don't necessarily like to share and it feels like a safe space because it's not even it's not really me sharing it it's Viola sharing it so I guess drag is my journal to the world and Diamond I'll put that same question to you. How has your identity or sense of self changed in the last 18 years of your ageless career? So growing up, um, there's a lot more concepts that there was no terms for back then when I was growing up. Things like non-binary, for instance. Um, I always felt like I was a boy with an I, never a Y, because I always felt distinct separation of that be a Y who just happened to be uh, do drag. But now that there's new concepts, now that people are able to be themselves, I'm able to finally accept the fact that I've always felt different than other drag queens. For me, I felt the same whether I was in drag or outside of drag. And I've come to be able to come to terms with my non-binaryness and my genderless, gender, genderlessness because of drag and because it's more 
open now. I wish that it had been open when I was growing up. And that's part of my thing is I want to give people a safe space that I didn't have. Sam, does that resonate with you? Yeah, that definitely resonates with me. I have the privilege. I have the privilege of growing up in a time and like household and generation that has a lot more terms and is a lot more accepting of those terms. So I was able to figure out my gender identity a lot sooner, but drag was definitely kind of a pivotal point in which I realized like, oh, I don't want to dress like this. And oh, I don't want to fit into this binary because it's kind of boring. And it's kind of like not really representative of how I feel on the inside. For me, I just, uh, I've only accepted in the last year or two and actually I'm able to use my drag clothes as regular clothes, my regular clothes as drag clothes before I kept separate closets. And now I'm just, it's very much like Sam was saying, it's a good expression of your individuality. Diamond, I'm curious how you have seen the drag scene change in your 18 years. Could a class like this have existed when you were first getting started? Oh, Lord. <laughs> I've seen it all in my 18 years. When I started, it was a lot more individual people taught what it was passed down generation to generation. I was lucky enough there was a club here in town called BJ's Carousel, which was the, it was a tiny, tiny, tiny little bar, but it was the drag place for like 32 years. And I was lucky enough, they eventually closed about 15 years, 10, 15 years ago. But the last five years I was there, I just met so many people who taught me the trips and tricks. And honestly, as a class setting, I, I never could even imagine that back then, you know? And that's one reason I'm so honored that I'm able to pass down not only things I've learned, but things that others have taught me. And it feels like visibility around the scene has changed over the years, too, Diamond. I mean, it felt like performances maybe used to be a bit more underground. Now it's accessible. RuPaul's Drag Race is to blame for that. Ah. <laughs> and RuPaul's Drag Race has its pros and its cons. It has brought it back to more mainstream, but I feel like it has also allowed certain aspects of the community to forget its heart. But luckily, it's starting with things like We're Here and Queen of the Universe. They're starting to find that heart of drag again. So it's been an interesting trail because it started out with a lot of heart and family and community. Then when RuPaul's Drag Race came out, it got competitive for people. And now it's finding its way back to the heart and community. Diamond, it seems to me that one function of this class is sort of passing the torch of Denver drag on to the next generation. How does that feel to you? Sorry, this hit, that hit close to home. Um, it feels so important because there's so much history that's lost and so many battles that the, we've had to fight as a community. A good friend of mine from Florida just who was had been doing drag for like 40, 50 years had started with in the, like forever ago and had won so many titles. A good friend of mine just recently passed and I, I'd been telling her for like the last year and a half record your stories, record your stories, because we're going to lose history. And that's what it feels like. That's how, why it's important to me to pass on this knowledge, pass on the history. I don't want the history. We we have a separate history as an LGBTQ and then regular people. And I don't want that history forgotten. And Sam, if I may sort of flip that to you, what is it like for you to learn from someone who's been doing this for so long? What's been most valuable to you? I think it's really inspiring because as a younger performer, it's important 
or in uh, and even as a younger queer person, it's important to embrace like my history and the people that fought for my right to be me publicly and openly. So it's really inspiring to see people like Diamond and like learn from people who like Diamond because I can see like where where the struggle was and like diamond is such a beautiful drag queen like their makeup is yes but like i can see so much of the learning and progress that we've made just when i'm learning because i'm able to as a privileged person sit there and be like oh wow i get to learn from one of the best drag queens in denver to um be able to better me and be able to pass that on to my to future generations and pass along the history so it feels kind of honorable not sure if that's the right word uh but honorable to be able to have this learning experience how does that feel diamond to hear that <laughs> it's making me teary-eyed i'm crying thank you sam that means so much to me Diamond Star is a Denver-based drag queen who's been performing for 18 years. They're currently hosting a series of drag classes for tweens and teens at Factory Fashion in Denver. Sam Sharney is a 15-year-old theater major at the Denver School of the Arts and one of Diamond's students. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. And you're always invited on January 30th yourself. That's our show for today. Our production team includes Henry Zimmerman and Tess Novotny. Our digital editor is Jackie High. Brian Larson is our executive producer. I'm Erin O'Toole. Thank you so much for listening. This is Colorado Edition from KUNC.